following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, good morning, everyone. Great time of worship and celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper together as we begin. And now we want to look in the Word at uh, Daniel chapter 2. So if you uh, have a Bible you want to turn, we're not going to read the whole chapter to start, but we'll walk through it. But we do want to read the first uh, six verses. Uh, Hopefully that says verses chapter 2, 1 through 6. So let's begin by just reading uh, and introducing this amazing story in, in Daniel. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. A day like this makes you really want to be a wise man and a Chaldean in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Um, You know, since the very beginning of time, since as far back as we have really an idea of human beings being on planet Earth, uh, people have had this sense, this belief and conviction that there are there's a God or gods out there beyond this world, and that that, uh, these gods could be helpful, that they could help us, they could protect us, they could help provide for us, uh, that that they have some kind of power over the earth and over the heavens. And so from the beginning of time, uh, people have tried to contact these gods, right? Tried to talk with them, and more importantly, tried to hear what the gods would say. And what these gods are like and and how we could live or how we could interact with them in a way to get their favor. And we see that happening here in this account. The Chaldeans, the wise men, the enchanters were experts in contacting the gods. right? And of course the king was not an expert. That was not his field, not his expertise. So he counted on these, these religious experts to connect and contact the gods for him. Um, and and, and so, so this, is, this has been true up until recent times. Now, in modern times, we have gotten a lot smarter because we're modern people, right? And we're smarter. And we know that, uh, and I'm not talking about us in this room probably, but the world at large has come to a much greater enlightenment and understanding that, the, the, that actually maybe there's not gods out there. And we've come to this scientific understanding of the universe, right? And now we know how it all works. We know that the world and the universe is not controlled by gods, but actually just by the laws of nature. And we've identified those laws of nature, 
And to some extent, we're really proud of ourselves because we can now control the laws of nature and we can control the world. There's power there, right? And this is great because we don't have to worry about communicating with these gods. We can just take charge, right? We like this much better. Uh, but even science has to admit, and, and if, if scientists and, and those who believe in uh, this philosophy of naturalism, if they think about it and ponder long enough, they come to the realization that, uh, as science has, has demonstrated, the world has not existed forever, right? It had a beginning. It started. And so anybody who thinks much would have to think, well, what was out there before it started, Right? Um, and as we look at the world, and it has all kinds of marks of intelligent design, uh, other thoughtful people would say, well, if it has the marks of intelligent design, does it have to have a, a designer? Right? So even people who uh, believe in science are kind of backed into the same exact corner. Is there a God out there? Is there a God who created the universe, who existed before it? And if there is, how do we know him? What is he like? Is he out to get us, or is he out to help us? And how do we communicate with him, right? And of course, that's what religion is about for, for, for histories, for centuries, right? Um, people have wrestled with this. How do we know this God or gods, and how do we communicate with them? How do we understand them? And, and the big question, most of all, that, that's at the heart of all this is, how do we know for certain we've got the right God and the right information, right? Lots of religions out there. Lots of ideas about God. The Chaldeans, they had their ideas. Um, and go to all the religions of the world. And they claim to know, right? They claim to have truth. But oftentimes, uh, you know, people say, well, all paths lead to God. But the problem is these paths are going in opposite directions often. So it's going to be kind of confusing how they'll end up with at God when they're all going opposite directions. They can't all be true. So how do we know we've got the right God, right? And of course... Well, this kind of human nature. Well, if I believe it, it has to be the right one, right? Because I'm just right. I'm a firstborn, right? It's my nature to just be right. So, so that we, but how do we really know? And this is exactly the question that Nebuchadnezzar is wrestling with in chapter 2 of Daniel. He, uh, he has had this dream, and this was just not like an, an, an everyday dream. There's something very unique about this dream. And he sensed that this dream was sent to him by the gods. And, and they believed that in that time, in ancient times, that the gods oftentimes would communicate, would speak to us through visions and dreams. And this dream had that kind of quality to it. He says, it wasn't just a weird dream because I had, you know, pizza too late at night or something. There was something about this dream that felt supernatural to, to the king. And he, he, he was convinced that it came from the gods. And so he's surrounded by all these wise men, these experts who claim to know how to talk to the gods. But this dream was troubling. And probably was troubling for Nebuchadnezzar because he had some sense it was about the future and maybe about his future. And the dream doesn't, as we'll see, the dream doesn't really end well. And so maybe he's worried about his own future. And he wants to know, like, what's the meaning of this dream? Like, maybe my life is at stake here. Maybe my whole existence is, is, is in the balance here. So I want to know that I got this right, right? But how do you know, right? How do you know? And it's, a, it's, it's clear as we go into the story that the king is not convinced that his wise men are really all that wise. He doesn't apparently have a lot of confidence in their, in their 
counsel and advice, right? And he wants, he wants to be convinced. He wants to know that they have really heard from the gods, right? So uh, he wants proof. He wants to be certain that they're not just making things up. So he puts them to a test, right? And the test is really quite simple. He says, well, if you can really communicate with the gods, if you, if you have this connection and the gods can give you the meaning of the dream, then it's a very simple thing that the gods would also give you the dream itself. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar is a pretty sharp cookie. He's pretty smart on this. He's like, this is easy. If you really talk to the gods and they really give you the meaning of the dream, then they can certainly give you the dream itself. Because I, I believe this dream came from the gods. So the gods know. And if you can talk to them, they'll tell you. And that will prove, that will show, I will, have, I will be convinced that you know what you are talking about and that you are giving me truth that came from the gods. Right? Um, and by the way, if you can't tell me the dream, then I know you're, you're lying to me and you're just making things up. Right? And that being the case, I have no use for you. Off of their heads. Right? And that's his order. So, so his question is significant, right? His question is important for us. How do we know? Right? How do we put to the test that we have the right God and the right understanding of God, right? And that we're not just making things up, right? How do we know? That's the question. That's what we want to look at in this chapter. How do we know, right? So let's jump in. It's a long story, uh, and so we'll kind of work our way through it here uh, quickly. Uh, first off, uh, as we said, King Nebuchadnezzar decides to put his wise men, his religious experts, to a test. And he, he is a troubled king. He's had this dream. It has upset him. Um, uh, he calls in these experts. The king commanded the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers. He gets all of them, right? He covers all the disciplines of whatever they do uh, uh, to tell him his dreams. So they came in and they stand before the king and he says, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And the Chaldeans answer the king to, representing this whole group of religious experts uh, by the way, it says in Aramaic, that's probably just a footnote, because in the, in the actual Hebrew Bible, at this point, uh, the language switches from Hebrew to Aramaic, and it continues that way through many chapters of the book, almost till the very end. So if you're following along in your Hebrew Bible, you've got to switch to your Aramaic, okay, your Aramaic, because um, you can do that. Right. So uh, he calls the expert, and, and so they say to the king in Aramaic, uh, it switches language, O king, live forever. Tell us your dreams and we will show you the interpretation. Right? Um, they are confident experts. They, they, they come to the king and say, this is no problem. We got this. We got this. Right? Because this is what we do. Like, this is what we spend our whole life studying. In fact, they've uncovered uh, libraries and the, the Babylonians inherited from their predecessors these incredible libraries, thousands of volumes, and they've recovered many of these. And many of the books were written on how to do exactly this, how to interpret dreams. And they had made kind of a whole science of this. And they had studied dreams, and then they had studied what happened after the dreams, and they connected symbols in the dreams with events in history. And they cataloged these in huge encyclopedias, right? So if you dream of a horse, you mean this. If the horse is a three-legged horse, it means that. If it's a blue horse or a purple horse, it means all these symbols. And they had uh, literally hundreds of these books, thousands or maybe tens of thousands of pages. And these guys knew this stuff, right? 
And they, they were convinced that they, they, if he would give them the dream, they could unpack it. They would know what it meant because they had books, right? They had books. Um, but Nebuchadnezzar is dealing with this big question, how can I know? Right? And he doesn't trust their books. He does not trust their encyclopedias. What he wants is people who can actually talk to the gods and get a word from the gods. Right? I, don't want your, I don't want your encyclopedias. I want a more direct connection. Right? So as we shared, he puts them to the test. He says, the king says, the word from me is firm. This is certain. I am not messing around here. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, off with your heads. And he describes in rather graphic terms, ripping them limb from limb. Okay. Uh, so if I'm, a, if I'm a Chaldean, a wise man at this point, I'm going to start like sweating profusely as he's describing ripping me limb from limb and destroying my house uh, to the, into a heap, right? And yeah, oh yeah, there's also a reward if you get it right, right? Uh, so the guys are getting a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, uh, and so what... What, what, what Nebuchadnezzar is really asking for, he says, I don't want just your books. I don't want just your encyclopedias. What I really want, the, the gods have revealed to me something, and what I'm asking for is for you to also get revelation from the gods. Right? You claim to be experts who know the gods and who can communicate with them. Here's your chance to prove it. Step up to the plate. Right? Here's your chance to prove that you know what the gods are talking about, that you can communicate with them, that you know what they are saying. Um, so this is how it works, right? Uh, they answer the king a second time. <laughs> very diplomatic. This is getting tricky. This is, this is where you start treading very lightly, right? And they, I would, uh, they elected some spokesperson who said, uh, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show you its interpretation, Right? And the king answered a second time, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you, you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. Off with your heads. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The king is not messing around, right? And he does not trust them. And he says, I think you're just lying to me. You're just speaking lying and corrupt words. You're just making stuff up. And I don't want made up stuff. I want revelation. I want to know what the gods are saying. Right? Um, they think it works because uh, they think they can solve the dream. But the king uh, thinks he knows the way it works. He thinks they are liars who are just pretending. Right? Um, and so... Uh, in verse 10, we get this startling and amazing confession from these wise men, right? Amazing confession. Notice what these guys say, right? And their lives are on the line. Uh, this is a life or death matter. And uh, when it comes down to it, they have to confess the truth. And what did they confess? The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has ever asked such a thing of any magician or chanter or Chaldean. This is impossible. You're asking the impossible. 
Uh, the thing that the kings ask is difficult. That's an understatement. This is not difficult. Really what they're saying is, this is impossible. There's no way anybody can do this. Why? He says, no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. This is profound, right? This is amazing. This is an incredible confession on their part. And sure, what they're saying is, look, the information that you're asking for, only the gods can reveal that. But here's the problem. They don't live here, right? We can't go knock on their door, king. What do you expect us to do? Like go find their address and like knock on the door and say, hey, uh, I have a question. Can you tell me what the king's dream is? No, they don't live here. They live in space. And we don't have a rocket ship, right? We don't have a radio transmitter. We can't talk to them. Uh, This is an amazing confession because what they are actually saying in the end is, look, we don't really know how to talk to the gods. I I know we pretend to, but actually, (laughs) we don't. (laughs) Who knew? Right? Uh, Ooh, buddy, right? Ooh, buddy. There's gods out there. They control the universe. They give dreams. But we don't really know how to talk to them. And we don't know how to listen to them. Right? And, and uh, the king is furious. He's outraged. Because he knows that these so-called wise men are just fakes and liars. Right? They are pretending. And he has no use for them. They are worthless. And actually, they are worthless. Right? 10,000 books, 100,000 books. It doesn't matter how many books. If you can't talk to the gods and hear from the gods, then you are worthless as a wise man, as an enchanter, as a religious expert, right? And so off with their heads, right? Uh, And of course, the problem perhaps for these guys is not so much with their methods, but as we would as we as we would believe, they're they're really seeking the wrong gods, right? They're seeking gods that they don't know because their gods aren't real, and that's why. They, they can't communicate. That's why uh, it's all, in fact, fake, right? Um, but thankfully, there is a different kind of God, right? And uh, Daniel knows this God. So the story continues on. So the king is furious. He commands all the wise men be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. So they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them because they were... Uh, you know, they graduated with a degree in, 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 in telling dreams, right? They were in this group, right? That's what their degree was in. That was the plaque on his door. Daniel uh, tells dreams, right? Interprets dreams. And so they're in this group, so they are under this death sentence. And uh, Daniel gets word, and Daniel replies with prudence and discretion to Arioch. So Arioch is the captain of the king's guard, uh, literally uh, the king's... Um, um, executioner, chief executioner, he got out to kill these wise men. And so Daniel approaches Arioch with prudence and discretion. And remember, it's important to remember here that Daniel is probably about 18 years old, maybe 19. He is young. He is fresh out of college. The paint is still drying on his little plaque on the door, right? He's new at this. He is a rookie to the max, right? Uh, But he has wisdom, right? I think wisdom from God. And so he goes and very carefully says to Arioch, um, so what's going on here? Why is the decree of the king so urgent? And Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. Daniel explains the whole story. 
And Daniel says he went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. See, Daniel knows a God who, who he can talk to and who he knows, without a doubt, a God who can talk to him, who can reveal to him the truth. He believes, see, Daniel believes in a very different kind of God, a God who listens and a God who speaks. And he knows without a doubt that God is able to reveal the dream and its meaning. And all Daniel needs to do is ask. All he needs to do is pray. And this God can help him. He just needs some time. So uh, the king apparently gives Daniel some time. We don't know how long, but he gives Daniel some time. And so Daniel goes into his house and he made the matter known to his buddies, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions and maybe roommates. And what did these guys do? Uh, He told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, this, this hidden thing, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. He says, pray for mercy. He says, guys, we need to... Uh, either, either, either life's going to be really short for us or God has got to save us, right? And he, he says, please, guys, let's, sit, let's, let's get together. Let's pray for mercy. Okay? And I love this, that um, Daniel does not tell God what to do. Right? doesn't say that he tells God he has to give him the interpretation of the dream. He just says, God, save us. We're in big trouble here. Uh, we are under a death sentence. Uh, he doesn't tell God what to do. He just cries out for mercy because he knows this is the nature and character of this God. Right? This is a God who helps those who cry out to them. Right? Um, this is a God who knows. This is a God who speaks. Right? And, and it says in verse 19, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Right? Now, we don't know if, uh, it doesn't, it's not really clear if they had a prayer meeting and then went to bed and he had a vision while he was sleeping, or uh, knowing that they're about to die, they just kept praying until they got the answer. We don't know. But sometime in the middle of the night, one way or the other, God gave Daniel a vision and showed him the dream and its meaning. And, and Daniel responds in, in praise and worship, declaring the wonders of this God who knows. Right? And one of the significant things here to see is that um, Daniel knew who this God was. And he knew uh, about this God because he, he comes from a, a history, a tradition. Right? And he talks about uh, his forefathers. He gives thanks in verse 23 to the God of my father's who had a relationship with this God and a history and a track record of this God who was constantly speaking with them, right? He, he met Noah and he met Abraham and he met Isaac and he met Jacob and he spoke to them and he revealed himself to them and he showed them who he was. And then there were the prophets like Elijah and others and Isaiah uh, who uh, God spoke to and they communicated these messages to, to the people. And so... Uh, Daniel has a theology. Okay, theology is a big word that just means he knows about God. He has ideas and truth about God. And we see in verse 20 this amazing prayer of praise. Uh, Daniel worships God, that God has saved his life by giving him the dream and its meaning. 
And it's a, it's a, it's a psalm packed full of truth about who God is. Right? Uh, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter, his dream. Right? Uh, Daniel is convinced that he has received uh, a word from God. Right? How? How does, he so, how does he know it's true? How does he know he just didn't have his own kind of weird, crazy dream? How does he know this is from God? Well, and partly because God gave him the dream. <laughs> right? He met the king's demand. He didn't just get an interpretation, but he got the dream. And in a few minutes, he's going to go to the king and he'll have proof that he got it right. Right? If he goes to the king and he said, well, this is your dream, and the king says, no, that wasn't my dream, well, then the whole thing's a failure. Right? But as it turns out, he knew the dream exactly what God had given to Nebuchadnezzar. But for Daniel, it goes much deeper than that, right? His conviction is based on this historical understanding of the God who's been revealing himself to Israel for hundreds of generations, right? He believes in a God who is a God of revelation, a God who speaks, a God who shows himself, a God who explains himself, uh, and gives dreams and its interpretation, right? So, so, so this, this psalm, he says, basically, this is a God who knows and who reveals what he knows, right? Uh, he says that God is eternal, right? Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, this eternal God. He's the source of all power and wisdom. It belongs to him. He knows the future not because he can just guess or because he's got a crystal ball, but he knows the future because he controls it, right? He's the God who changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. That's why God knows the future. He controls it all. He holds it. He manages. He is sovereign over it. And ultimately, he is a God who reveals himself, right? He knows the truth. He reveals deep and hidden things, these mysteries, because God knows. He he, he knows what's in the darkness because light dwells with him. Right? When the power goes off in heaven, God's not scrambling for his phone trying to find the flashlight on the phone. You ever do that, you know? You can't, can't find it, right? When you can't get the buttons on. God doesn't need that because he is light. Right? He is light. And there's nothing hidden from him. There's nothing in the darkness to him. Um. Therefore, he is to be praised, right? To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you giving me wisdom. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the matter of the king. Right? God knows. God knows. Because he is the God who, who reveals mysteries. And he's the God of revelation. Uh, and he is real, right? And so we can know this God with confidence, because he reveals himself to us, right? Not because of any wisdom or skill on our part, but because in his grace and mercy, he is a God of revelation, right? 
So armed with the, the, uh, the dream and its interpretation, Daniel goes to meet the king, right? Verse 24, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and said to him, don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Stop. Bring me before the king and I will show the king the interpretation and the dream, right? Um, and it's interesting how you, you see here, Daniel's not only concerned about himself, right? He could have said, well, away with those guys. They're fakes anyway. No, he cares about them, right? And he says, don't, don't, don't hurt anybody. I've got the answer. So he goes in to give the king the answer he's seeking. Uh, and, and I love this. It says, Ari, I brought Daniel before the king in, in haste and said to him, I, have, I found him among the exiles, a man from Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. I love how Arioch takes credit for this. I have found this guy. You owe me, right? Actually, it's not how it quite went down, right? But that's his version of, of the story. And the king declared to Daniel, whose name was in, 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 in uh, the language uh, Belteshazzar, uh, he says, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Right? Can you really prove that you have heard from the gods? And, and I love Daniel's answer here. Right? A guy who knows how to instill confidence and build trust. He says to the king, Nope, <laughs> I have no clue. So there's no wise man, there's no enchanter, there's no magician, there's no astrologer, there's no one who can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. Right? There's no one. Short answer. Look, king, and, and I love this. So, so basically what, what Daniel does here before he gives the, the dream and its meaning, uh, he sets up first to give King Nebuchadnezzar, who has the power to cut off his head and tear him limb from limb, he decides to give him a theology lesson first. And here's the first point in the theology lesson. No, people can't do this. No. Like there's no power in us. There's nobody smart enough. There's no collection of books anywhere. There's nobody who has the skill or the insight to discover God on their own. All right? He doesn't quite say the words, but it's implied here, you idiot. <laughs> like what are you thinking? Right? And on this, you know, the, the wise men were right, right? We, we don't know how to find this guy's house and knock on his door and ask him, right? We don't know the way to God. Uh, we don't know, and there's nothing we can do. There's no science out there uh, that gives m- people the power to find God. That's impossible, right? That's impossible. But, <laughs> but, right, before... before Nebuchadnezzar starts wielding the sword. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Right? There's a God of revelation who knows truth and who reveals it. Now I'm going to read the rest of what his uh, theology lesson is to Nebuchadnezzar. And as I read, I want you to pay attention to the words reveal and, and show. Right? As he explains who this God is. He says, There's a God in heaven. By the way, that's kind of Daniel's code word for there's one true and living God who's creator of everything. Not the many gods that you worship. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about them. There is one true God in heaven who's Lord over all, who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these 
To you, O king, as you lay in your bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be, may be made known to the king, and that, you're, uh, that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Amazing declaration. Daniel says, look, it's not in the power of men, it's not in the power of me. I'm, I'm not giving you this interpretation because I'm anything special. You need to know, Nebuchadnezzar, that the God of the universe who created everything has decided and elected to reveal something to you. But the God of revelation is revealing something to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. So pay attention. And by the way, what he's implying here is not only is God revealing the interpretation, but actually the dream itself came from God. God was revealing uh, to Nebuchadnezzar by giving him the dream in the first place. It was a revelation of God, a gift of God's grace. Right. So the big question, can I know this is really from God? Right. And, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar gets the answer, right? Yes, you can know this is from God because I'm going to tell you the dream and I'm going to tell you its meaning. And only God, only the God in heaven could reveal this kind of information. They are deep, dark, hidden, secret things locked away in your brain and, and no human being can know these things. But I'm going to tell you because God has revealed it. Um, and in his, and, and, and uh, Daniel doesn't say this, but we need to know that God doesn't have to do this, right? It's a, it's a, it's a matter of grace, especially to Nebuchadnezzar. Who was Nebuchadnezzar? Well, he was actually the king who destroyed Jerusalem. Well, he hasn't yet, but he will. And who's destroyed the temple, right? He's the enemy of Israel. And eventually God would, would judge Babylon for, for what Nebuchadnezzar does, right? Uh, but God in his grace reveals himself to this pagan king. Why? Because he created the world and, and God wants all the world to know him. Right? He wants all the world to know. And so his revelation is not for a secret select group. God wants his revelation to be available to all. Right? So finally we get to the big question. We've been waiting and waiting. Okay, so what's the dream? <laughs> what's the dream? Are you dying to know yet? Well, let's just talk about it next Sunday. No, no, we'll, we'll, no, we'll talk about it now, real quick. But we're not going to go into great detail because this dream uh, actually corresponds to uh, chapter 7 and on. And so we're not going to dig into it at great depth. But, but let's look at the dream so we have proof that Daniel got it right, right? The dream. Daniel says, You saw, O king, and behold... A great image, a statue. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was, was frightening, was terrifying. It's a massive statue. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle part and thigh of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked... A stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff 
of the summer threshing floors. And the wind blew them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay. Now, apparently, Daniel got it right because Nebuchadnezzar was silent. Right? He didn't say, oh, no, that wasn't it. <laughs> the chest was actually aluminum. No, no, it was, it was silver. Right? He got it right all the way around. Right? Um, and and, and, and he, he, then he gives the meaning. He said, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has, he has given Wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, uh, making you rule over them. All right, so an amazing picture of God giving this authority uh, to Nebuchadnezzar to rule over the, the world, right? His whole kingdom, even the birds and the, uh, and the animals, right? He says, you are the head of gold. Well, that's kind of encouraging news for Nebuchadnezzar. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. That's the silver one, right? And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which is even, uh, even more inferior, less, less valuable, uh, which shall rule over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. That uh, means it's going to take them over completely. Um, and as you saw, the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay, meaning porcelain or china or pottery, and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another, uh, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. As I said, I'm not going to kind of unpack all of this. There's a lot here, and we could have a whole sermon just on this. We'll talk about it later when we get to chapter 7. But basically, what he's describing here is four great kingdoms of men, of mankind, of humanity. Uh, the first uh, would be, uh, the gold head would be the Babylonian kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, that kingdom was followed by the silver chest and arms, was the Medes and the Persians. And we will learn later about Cyrus, who uh, conquered the Babylonians in Daniel's lifetime. So Daniel actually saw the first part of this fulfillment in his own lifetime when the Babylonians were conquered by the, uh, the Medes and the Persians. Uh, the third kingdom that comes along, the bronze waist and thighs, is Greece. And under Alexander the Great, uh, the, the Greeks conquered the Medes and the Persians, and a bunch of other people, by the way. Uh, and finally, uh, the last fourth kingdom, the, the kingdom of iron uh, legs and the feet of iron and clay, uh, would be Rome, who conquered the Greeks, right? Um, so four successive kingdoms. And, and it's significant to note that each su- successive kingdom is less glorious, although not necessarily weaker. Okay, here's kind of an application point or something to think about. According to Daniel, according to God, 
Civilization is not getting better. It's getting worse. Civilization, the pinnacle of civilization apparently was Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. And it's been going downhill ever since. And that's not saying a lot that the Babylonians had it all together because they had their own issues, right? But but it gets worse, right? We we have confused, we have confused our tech our advancement in technology with uh, assuming we've advanced in civilization. God would say no, no, we're going down. We are in decline. It's getting worse. And here's the good news: it doesn't ever get better till the end, right? If you're hoping the world is going to like recover. Like when we get the right president or the right elected leader, you know, it's going to, we're going to turn this around. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, right? It only gets worse. Uh, That's the good news. Yay, right? Um, But there is good news in this though. Here's Here's this piece of good news. We are certainly living in the last, in the last kingdom, right? Now, of course, we may not be living in Rome, and you were like, when we'll talk about this later when we get to chapter seven. Uh, but, but the, the, the rule of Rome has, has continued. And what's significant to note is that nobody ever really conquered the Romans, right? They attacked the Romans, and they just spread out all over the place like a bunch of little toes, some strong and some weak. And you all come from one of those toes, most likely. Right, right. You come from one of those, and maybe your toe is strong. Maybe it's made of iron. Maybe it's made of clay. Maybe it's a mixture of both. Right. We're still kind of living out the legacy of Rome, the last kingdom, and we are in the last kingdom. Um, but but here's the, here's the even better news. There is a stone that is cut out without human hands, and this clearly refers to Jesus. Right. And Jesus will come and he will set up a final kingdom of God that will completely obliterate every kingdom of man. Right? It strikes it and it so devastates the kingdom that not only does it destroy Rome and the toes and the clay, but it, it, it wipes out everything. It all becomes like chaff. And it's a picture when they would uh, harvest the, the wheat or the rice and they had to get the, the shell off the, off the grain. And they would roll it until those, those shells broke loose. And then they would take a basket and they would put the grain with the, these shells on the basket and they would throw it up in the air on a windy day. And what would happen is the wind would blow the chaff away because the chaff was worthless. And what would be left was the grain. And, and his, the picture here is that uh, the kingdoms of, of mankind are ultimately worthless worthless, right? They may serve a purpose now, but the kingdoms of man do not honor God. And in fact, they are opposed to his rule. And in the end, they will have no lasting worth or value. And their continued decay and deterioration shows how corrupt and worthless they are. Right? But the final word, verse 44, and in, those, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. Right? God, Jesus will come back someday. And of course, Jesus has come once and he introduced the kingdom 
we have the privilege of entering his kingdom now through faith. But that's not the kingdom he's talking about here. The kingdom he's talking about here is one that shatters human rule, human government, and human authority. Uh, And that will be uh, at Jesus' second coming. And and Daniel says, Just as you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain by no human hand, and then it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver and gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. You can count on this, right? How can you know? Well, um, the, the amazing thing is that you can know. right? You can know that the revelation of God is truth and it's accurate, right? How can we know? Well, let's finish with just a couple of ways that we can know. First of all, we can know because we can really, um, like, like Nebuchadnezzar was like a super skeptic, right? He was right up there. Like there are probably very few people who were as skeptical as Nebuchadnezzar was. But here's the thing. Mr. Super Skeptic in the end is super convinced, Right? Notice what it says. Um, the end of chapter 2. Uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. This is from Mr. Skeptic himself, right? And he says, well, first of all, here's here's Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful ruler in the world at that time, who had conquered most of the known civilized world. Granted, he hadn't conquered China. (laughs) Okay, that's different. Okay, there's another kingdom over there. We won't kind of get left out of the Bible, right? But the rest of it he had conquered, right? And um, here's this most powerful man. And this king who bows to no one throws himself on the ground before this 18-year-old kid who's a captive from a country he has conquered. Why would he do that? Right? Uh, it would be embarrassing. Like everybody around is probably going like, oh, what is he doing? Right? This is how convinced he is that he has just met the God of the universe. Right, that he bows before his ambassador Daniel. Not to worship Daniel, but to worship this God who's revealed himself. Right? Uh, this is convincing testimony right? that the God who revealed himself is real because Nebuchadnezzar was convinced. Right? Um, but beyond that, we can, put, uh, our own, uh, we, we can conduct our own test. And the test is this, did Daniel's interpretation of the dream come to pass? Well, perfectly, perfectly. In fact, um, it so describes history, right? What what he lays out here with these four kingdoms so describes his history that many critics and skeptics of the Bible say, there's no way Daniel could have written this when he did. It's too accurate, right? It's too accurate. He had to have written this after the fact. But uh, there's actually growing research that shows that Daniel actually knew too much about Babylon for it to have been written any other time than during the days of Nebuchadnezzar. 
right? And there's a lot of archaeological, and there's a lot of debate on this, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that. But there's amazing uh, archaeological evidence now that's supporting that Daniel knew things that there's no other way to know than for him to have lived and written during the time of King Nebuchadnezzar. Right? But, but let's, say, let's say he, uh, you know, okay, let's say, sure, he wrote it at the time of Christ, looking back, and he could record all these things because, you know, uh, it had already happened. Okay, we'll give him credit for that. But what about the rest of the Bible? Here's the thing. The Bible is full of revelation, full of prophecy, right? And you can look at dozens of uh, prophetic words in the Old Testament uh, that we know were written hundreds of years before Christ that were fulfilled perfectly in Jesus. Perfectly. The most powerful one and the most clear and the most obvious is in in the book of Isaiah. We celebrated the Lord's Supper. The Jesus who died on the cross, who was pierced for our sin, right? And 600 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah wrote this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And that's only one of dozens of prophecies that spell out in incredible detail the life of Jesus, who fulfilled it perfectly. How do we know the Bible is a revelation of God? Because it's accurate, right? It, told, it tells the future hundreds of years in advance. Right? But one last one, and, and even more importantly, right? here's how we know it's true. Because as it turns out, the wise men, the Chaldeans and the enchanters of Babylon uh, were wrong on many accounts, but they were wrong on this one. They said, you know, the gods don't make their dwelling with people. Duh. Well, guess what? God does, right? He does make his dwelling with us. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the ultimate word of God. And it says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. God is a speaking God. He's a God of word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's ultimate revelation to us is in the person of Jesus Christ. And he came and dwelt with us. And he made his home here and he lived among us and he showed us in a real life human flesh and blood person what God is like and who he is. And the ultimate of that revelation was when he gave his life on the cross. And demonstrated that God is not only a God who's powerful and mighty and holy, but he is a God 
who loves us and gave himself up for us to redeem us from sin and death. Right? And what's amazing is, uh, not only did Jesus die back then, and it's like, well, I wasn't there then. I couldn't go visit him. I couldn't see him. Right? But the witness of Scripture is clear about his life. But, but here's the thing. Right? It doesn't end there. Uh, John 14:23, Jesus answered uh, the crowds, answered a questioner and said, Look, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Not only does God make his dwelling with flesh, he makes his dwelling in us through faith. Right? Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This picture of fellowship and communion. Right? How do we know? Well, we know because Jesus has promised to come into our hearts and lives. And if we invite him in, we have the privilege and opportunity to communicate with him. This is the thing that humanity has been searching for from the beginning of time. And we have this incredible revelation in the person of Christ. Right? Uh, we have the witness of Scripture. Right? It is God's inspired word. It is his revelation. Right? And we can count on it as being from God because it's, it's put to the test and it passes. Right? We have Jesus living in our hearts. Uh, and Paul prays in, in, uh, in one of his epistles, I forget the verse now, but he says, I pray that, uh, that you may be filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. Right? He's poured out his very spirit in our heart to reveal himself to us. Right? Incredible. We can know this God because he in his grace has chosen to make himself known. And like Nebuchadnezzar, we should be blown away and we should fall down in worship. Right? So we're going to do that even now. Worship this God who's revealed himself to us. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.